Welcome to My American Melting Pot, the podcast where we have conversations and tell stories about the intersection of race and real life. I'm your host, Lori L. Tharps. I'm an author, a journalist, a mother of three, and a self-proclaimed diversity diva. I'm really glad you're here because this episode is going to be really delicious. Hello, Melting Pot community. For this episode of The Melting Pot, I want to do something a little bit different. I'm going to tell you a story that my brother shared with me. He and his fiancée went to Guatemala a couple years ago for vacation. And they told me this story about going mountain climbing with a tour group. When it was time for the group to stop for lunch, they were halfway up a mountain, somewhere in the middle of, you know, the wilderness of Guatemala. And there were two Guatemalan women preparing lunch for them. And they set up some small plastic tables. They had some pots boiling. And my brother and fiance were surprised to find out that what these women were cooking was fried chicken. Now, I recall when my brother told me that story laughing. I thought it was so funny. And I realized I thought it was funny because I don't associate fried chicken with Guatemalans. But then I realized that's not funny because all it means is that I didn't know that fried chicken was enjoyed by people outside of the United States. I associate fried chicken primarily with Black American culture. And I know a lot of other people do, too. Sometimes people think of Black American culture with fried chicken in a positive way, like, wow, it's so delicious when Black people make fried chicken. But it's also looked at as a racist trope, and it's used as a way to denigrate Black people as well. Hello, Tiger Woods. But is this an accurate association? Is fried chicken a Black thing? Is it a Guatemalan thing? Is fried chicken an international thing? I decided to use this episode of the podcast to explore the cultural reach of fried chicken to maybe dispel some myths about fried chicken and Black people. I wondered, have we all been overlooking this humble delicacy as a potential bridge between cultures? Should we be considering Colonel Sanders an international ambassador for unity? On this episode of My American Melting Pot, we're going to hit the streets and ask questions all about fried chicken. My first stop on my fried chicken journey was the Acme supermarket on Germantown Avenue in the Mount Airy neighborhood of Philadelphia. I decided to go on a Monday evening because Mondays are Cheap Chicken Mondays at Acme. At Cheap Chicken Mondays, you can get eight pieces of chicken for just $6.99. So I figured this was the perfect time to find some real fried chicken connoisseurs. I'm going to head right on over to the chicken counter. There's a sign that says Cheap Chicken Monday, every Monday, every week, $6.99. And I'm going up to see that there's trays of fried chicken, all different pieces, and grilled chicken, and even it looks like chicken nuggets. Oh, yes, fresh store-made chicken nuggets. The young man working behind the counter's name was Mikel. I decided to ask him, just how popular the chicken at Acme really was. They love our fried chicken. They love our grilled chicken, too. What is the secret to the fried chicken? We just put a lot of love into it. That's all. Mikkel didn't lie. I spoke to a few customers in line about what they really liked about Acme fried chicken and about their thoughts about fried chicken in general. Here's what they had to say. Can you tell me your first name? Mikkel. 
this Acme fried chicken, I've heard that it's very good. How would you rate it in terms of other fried chicken you've had? It's only less than my grandmother's. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. What ethnic group do you associate fried chicken with? Well, historically, they say African-Americans, but I say people from the South, no matter what their color is. First name, Nicole. Okay, Nicole. And when you think of fried chicken, what ethnic group do you associate fried chicken with? To be honest, African-American. Why? I feel like we cook it the best. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to argue. We were brought up on fried chicken at every barbecue fried chicken. Every dinner, fried chicken. Every soul food dinner, there was fried chicken. Can I just get your first name? Larry. What cultural or ethnic group do you think of when you think about fried chicken? Afro-Americans. And why do you think that? Well, I'm originally a southerner, and I grew up with it, and uh, for all my life, knowing that uh, wherever I went, whenever I tasted it, the chicken that was cooked by... uh, Afro-Americans always tasted it better, and um, like I said, I grew up with it. I left Acme with a brown bag full of fried chicken and the knowledge that I am not the only person who associates fried chicken with Black Americans. But fried chicken isn't just a Black thing. Fried chicken is claimed as a national favorite by many other cultures in all parts of the world, from Africa to Asia. So I decided to talk to three different experts representing three different ethnic backgrounds, Guatemalan, South Korean, and African-American, about their perspectives on this culinary delicacy. First, I tracked down one of Philadelphia's most well-known Guatemalan chefs, Sofia de Leon. Sofia is the chef and owner of El Mercury Restaurant in Center City. El Mercury specializes in Guatemalan street food. The menu is simple. They serve taquitos, pupusas, tostadas, and churros. But they don't serve fried chicken. I went to El Mercury to ask Sofia de Leon about fried chicken in her homeland. I know that fried chicken is popular in Guatemala, but can you just tell me a little bit more about how popular or where fried chicken fits in Guatemalan culture and cuisine? So fried chicken, it's there's almost like a loyalty to it. So there's Pollo Campero, which is the main brand. Uh, it's been around forever, like probably before I was born. Uh, and every Guatemalan knows it. So people, I would say it's mostly like a blue collar food, although, you know, every now and then everybody eats it. But people travel with it, like they bring it, you know, immigrants bring it to their families here. And it's something, it's almost like a familiar food that you know like reminds you of home and then for the people that I eat there it's almost like a treat because you know a bucket of fried chicken might come with bread and it comes with slaw and it's pretty filling so yeah I think it's like I can't say it's an immigrant food because people that don't emigrate (laughs) eat it but it's food that reminds you of home and it's particularly the brand that's gained the loyalty of most Guatemalans. So how is Guatemalan fried chicken different, if at all, from what you would find here in the United States? I would say the outside covering is the spices that they put in it are more uh, like human, like I guess earthier flavors versus spicy. Like we eat spicy, but not so much. Like it's not as much as like Mexico, for example. If you're in Guatemala, when and where would you eat fried chicken? 
I think people eat it on a Sunday. Like, it's the Sunday kind of food. Like, when the whole family gets together and it's like a day that you eat, you have a feast. Because one bucket will feed a whole family and then you'll get the bones and you'll get the bread and you'll get the sides. And it won't cost you as much as, say, McDonald's. So McDonald's is like a higher-end food almost, which is amazing because, you know, here you think of McDonald's and you think of the dollar menu. <laughs> so um, do people not make their own fried chicken and is it more something you get from Pollo Campero? Yes, yes, absolutely. I don't think people make fried chicken at home as much. It's just something that you eat outside. It's like a burger or fries. Like you don't make a burger at home, you get it outside because, you know, it has like that feel. And then people also go and like they bring their families because then they have like the play area and then they can take their kids and it's a family outing. <laughs> so what's interesting to me and why we're doing this episode is that most people don't, Americans, don't associate fried chicken with Guatemala. Yeah. Why do you think that is and how do you feel about that? I guess sometimes you limit yourself to like what you know and like if you don't really know about like other countries and what they eat and what their customs are then you assume that it's only what you know that people eat so I think fried chicken is very important to Guatemalans it's almost like Wawa is very important to Philadelphia (laughs) it's a brand it's the loyalty Um, it's a staple and people recognize that it's good if not the families are still going to eat it and if you're traveling to Guatemala or to and from Guatemala and probably from Guatemala to the U.S. you'll probably smell it on the plane because most people travel with it it's like a very unique thing you know I mean I don't like the smell of it on the plane especially if it's like a long flight but it's so unique (laughs) I don't know if it happens like in other countries but in Guatemala people always travel with their chicken (laughs) Apparently, Pollo Campero has 400 worldwide locations, with 70 in the United States. The closest one to Philadelphia, where I'm located, is just across the bridge in Trenton, New Jersey. Their U.S. headquarters are in Dallas, Texas. Yet before this episode, I'd never even heard of it. And I wasn't alone. Even some of the Philadelphians who are eating at this Guatemalan restaurant don't know that fried chicken is so popular in Guatemala. When you think of Guatemalan food, do you think about fried chicken? I do not. No. I, I also do not. I do not know. <laughs> yeah. Fried chicken in Guatemalan food just... Is it a thing? Like... <laughs> so why in this country are we so wedded to the idea that fried chicken is a black thing? I decided to sit down with my friend, Chef Valerie Irwin, to try to sort this out. Valerie is a longtime Philadelphia chef who for 12 years owned the critically acclaimed Geechee Girl Rice Cafe. During its tenure, Geechee Girl was featured on many major media outlets, including the Philadelphia Inquirer, Philadelphia Daily News, Philadelphia Magazine, the TV Food Network, and NPR. Valerie specializes in cooking the food of the low country, that is the coast of South Carolina and Georgia where her grandparents were born. Valerie also serves on the board of the Southern Foodways Alliance, the country's premier institution for the study of food and culture. So the first thing I asked her was, what's the secret to making really good fried chicken? Most of the fried chicken that you can get if you get fried chicken in a restaurant is deep fried. And I don't like deep fried chicken. Ours is pan fried, so it takes a little longer to make It never reaches quite as high a temperature. So it just is a more gentle cooking method. And I think that that is one of the main 
determinants of how good the fried chicken is. When I made make chicken, I don't soak in buttermilk and I don't brine and I don't do any of those things. It's really just making sure that you're cooking at a constant temperature that gets the chicken brown and crackly on the outside, but it stays moist on the inside. And what about the seasonings, though, Valerie? What is the flavor? What is it that makes good chicken, fried chicken flavor? Is it just salt? I was just going to say, (laughs) the thing that makes fried chicken taste good is mostly just salt. So I had someone who worked for me who uh, said he had spent his whole youth trying to figure out what the 13 herbs and spices were that the colonel put into his fried chicken. And then he comes to Geechee Girl and uh, we made fried chicken and we put salt and pepper and paprika. That's it? That's it. So do you think the colonel was lying? Was that just advertising so that people didn't even bother trying and then would just go buy their chicken? I mean, what is, like, what could possibly be those herbs and spices? And what herbs? I mean, really? I mean, herbs? Well, can't say that I have had the Colonel's Fried Chicken anytime recently, so I don't know if I know if they had herbs and spices. I mean, there are dried herbs that you could put in it. And a lot of people put a lot of different other things, garlic powder and onion powder and things like that. But I think a lot of those flavors are to punch up the flavor of the chicken because at places like Kentucky Fried Chicken, they actually cook it in a what's called a pressure fryer. It's not a higher temperature, but, you know, temperature plus time plus pressure. So it makes it cook more quickly. And I think they drive out all the natural flavor and replace it with whatever. (laughs) I I don't know. What do you like to serve with fried chicken? Like, what are your favorite side dishes to serve with fried chicken? What do you think pairs well with fried chicken? All right. In my family, if we have fried chicken, we want potato salad. And at Geechee Girl, I used to serve fried chicken with potato salad. And half the time, someone would ask for some other side. So eventually, I polled all the people in my kitchen, who were mostly pretty young people, like teenagers, very young adults who were, you know, working with me as prep people or dishwashers. And I, I polled everybody and asked them what they liked with fried chicken. You know, I was thinking of other things like mashed potatoes. But the thing is, mashed potatoes have to have gravy, and I didn't want to make gravy. But To a person, everybody said macaroni and cheese. So we started serving macaroni and cheese with fried chicken, and we almost never got asked for substitutions except if my sisters came to dinner. And then they said, is there any way we could have potato salad? (laughs) (laughs) What about the quintessential fried chicken and waffles? Now, I read that fried chicken and waffles actually started as a breakfast item, but people eat it, I feel like, in restaurants, at dinner, at brunch, breakfast. What do you feel is the real place for fried chicken and waffles? So I have to say that I had never had fried chicken and waffles before I served it in my restaurant. And I served it in my restaurant because I had a sous chef named Hillary. Well, actually, so it was another person on our staff that suggested it. But Hillary had had it. I'd never had it. And we made— I'm sorry, backing this up. How is it possible, Valerie Irwin, celebrity chef of Philadelphia of Southern food, you never had chicken and waffles? Like, I don't understand that. What do you mean you never had it? I had never had chicken and waffles, and I don't remember any place in Philadelphia having chicken and waffles. I mean, maybe, like, around the same time that I did it, which was probably around— 2010, but just going to a restaurant, I don't remember there ever being chicken and waffles. I remember chicken and waffles 
from television. I remember the Fresh Prince talking about chicken and waffles. And not only that, you know, in Pennsylvania, there's a Pennsylvania Dutch tradition of chicken and waffles that's more like a cream chicken. My mother would make that. Not fried chicken. But not fried. We never had a fried chicken and a waffle. That's just surprising to me that you'd never had it before. It's one of those things that I feel like is part of the the narrative, like fried chicken and waffles. I feel like you, like you said, you hear it on TV, maybe in movies, maybe you read about it, but realistically, maybe people weren't eating it. Although now it's 2019 and even little bistros in like the suburbs of Philly, you can get fried chicken and waffles on the brunch menu. Yep. It's so interesting to kind of look at where these meals come from, but then where they're associated with. Adrian Miller, he wrote this wonderful book, Soul Food, The Surprising Story of an American Cuisine, One Plate at a Time. It's an excellent book about the history of soul food. And he does have a little sidebar about the history of chicken and waffles. And it's interesting because he says that there's actually a, I mean, I guess to say a rumor, it, it doesn't prove to be true, but that jazz musicians of the 1920s started that fried chicken and waffles because, you know, they would finish their late night sessions and they'd want to get something to eat. And they would want dinner, but breakfast because it'd be like two in the morning. And so the fried chicken and waffles was their invention. So it's like black jazz musicians started fried chicken and waffles. But in fact, it really dates back even earlier to this Pennsylvania Dutch. And it was called a Virginia breakfast, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I don't know that one. This um, idea of chicken and waffles in the morning. So anyway, regardless, there are so many kind of culinary folktales, if you will, about where these things start, who started them. And that's what's, again, fried chicken has this association with Black people. Why do you think that people associate fried chicken with African-Americans? The reality is that fried chicken is delicious. And we know that people all over the world eat fried chicken. We know that in the United States, people of every color and hue eat fried chicken. Why is it associated with Black people? I think that there's a historical association with Black cooks and fried chicken, although I don't know that in that historical association it was so much with eating fried chicken. But I do feel like once something gets associated with the Black community, then other communities try to separate themselves from that. So, they're, you know, it's literally like getting tarred. So that's why I think that other communities in some ways have fallen away from being associated with fried chicken. And it's not because Black people eat more or any other people eat less. It's just that in this culture, at least, once an association is made with the Black community, with Black people, then other people don't wish to be associated with it. But historically, I think it was because, especially in the South where... There was a lot of fried chicken. I mean, they made it in other places, too, in the Midwest, where Black people were often the cooks, you know, enslaved cooks. But even after emancipation, people who were cooking in restaurants or people who had their own businesses making things like fried chicken. So I think that that was part of the the mythology of Black people and fried chicken. But they weren't necessarily cooking it for other Black people. Right, right. That's the part that's just, you know, like all dumb racial tropes, the idea that Black people were cooking the fried chicken for themselves, that's not how it started, you know? <laughs> they were cooking it for their white masters and then for clients or, you know, people who they were selling it to. Um, but I did, you know, of course, you can go to Google University, you know, you read, um, and there's a lot of different theories as to why 
fried chicken was associated with Black people and in a kind of a negative way. I mean, everything from just chickens were easier and cheaper to have as animals that would feed you. So enslaved Africans could keep a chicken, you know, um, and so they could sell chicken, sell eggs. And so they were often associated with chickens. But then I read um, in some places that the movie Birth of a Nation there's a scene where you have Black people eating fried chicken and it just looks terrible. And that it was because fried chicken, along with watermelon, are eaten with the hands, that it has this kind of animalistic kind of idea around it. And that that's where we get these kind of negative stereotypes about fried chicken being associated with Black people and being associated with sloppy eating or animalistic eating. Now, again, all of this is hearsay, conjecture, etc. But there's definitely that idea. I mean, it has become a racist trope to associate Black people with fried chicken, and somehow it's a bad thing. Even though everybody eats fried chicken, this idea of it being negative. What do you think it is that, you know, despite its racial connotations, etc., what do you think it is that makes fried chicken so like that so many people like it. Why is it such an enjoyable food? I mean, it's picnic food, it's party food. What is it, you know, from a culinary perspective that makes it so appreciated and loved? Well, so first of all, I'd say people love fried food. So fried food, you know, has a wonderful texture and it's easy to eat. And if you think about frying meat, when you look at other kinds of meat, they just don't fry that well. They're too fibrous. Frying is like a quick cooking thing. So you can like chicken fry steak or you can fry pork chops, but they're going to be a little bit chewy. Yeah. But chicken is nice and tender. And the other thing that I would say fits in that category is fish, which is also, I find, very much associated with Black people. But I think Black people associate it with ourselves but the rest of the world doesn't really eat fried fish like that. So they don't associate that with black people. That's British people, right? Fish and <laughs> chips that they do it. And it's not even that tasty. It's just that they associate it with that, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. So that's very true. I never really thought about that. But like fry, people like fried food, period, right? Yeah. Like that's kind of a thing. Now, Valerie, I know you cannot speak for all of America or all of black people or anything like that, but would you say <laughs> from the culinary perspective, like in professional world, do black people have some kind of upper hand in not just the making, but the selling of fried chicken? Now, I have to say Colonel Sanders is a white man. And I believe the owners of Popeye's are now, it's the company owned by white people. But the perception, I mean, if you're going to get fried chicken, you want black people to prepare it. Would you say that's a fair assumption, association that that's out there in the culinary world? I have to say that I cannot offhand think of any white person who I've ever had make fried chicken. So I think there is a legitimate cultural association with cooking fried chicken and cooking fried food, period. I mean, there are certainly are other cultures where they fry things, but not so much in this country because frying is not a Northern European culinary technique. So you just don't get that many fried things. You know, once again, getting back to the idea of pan frying chicken rather than deep frying. So anyone can deep fry because all you got to do is put on the breading and you put it into the fryer 
And it adjusts itself in a restaurant anyway. You know, it has a thermostat and it'll adjust itself. But pan frying takes a lot more, you know, looking and adjusting. So if you don't come up frying things, then you probably don't know how to fry. And I've had, you know, over the years had to teach people how to fry because they just don't know how to do that. So I think that that's one of the reasons for the association. Um, You know, it's interesting when you talked about Adrian Miller and his book on soul food, when you asked me to be on this podcast, I pulled out my copy and I read the whole chapter on fried chicken. And it was, you know, I've read the book, but it was a long time ago. And, And he talks about how in West Africa, it you know, was traditional to eat birds, but it wasn't clear that they had the kinds of chickens that we have now. They, you know, they had guinea fowl and they had other things. But in Jessica Harris's book, and Jessica's another culinary historian, she talks about things that indicate like an African background in, in a food way. And, it, you know, there are things like using okra or having hot sauce. But she has a whole list of, came from another book, I think, that she's quoting about cooking techniques. And it was like roasting in ashes and steaming. And so one of them is frying in deep oil. And I kind of think that despite the fact that in Adrian's book, he talks about a an English cookbook, a very early English cookbook talking about frying chicken. It was not really a Northern European technique. So I kind of think that Africans already knew how to fry, but it was the colonists that had the chickens. (laughs) Excellent, excellent. Which makes it a truly African-American, I don't want to say invention, but, but product. I would like to say, though, that despite the expertise that Black cooks have had over the centuries making fried chicken, and despite the association that people have with black cooks and fried chicken, for the most part, people making money from fried chicken are not black. And so in that sense, I think there's a whole lot of cultural appropriation going on. And uh, Talk to me, Valerie. Talk to me. (laughs) This is important. Well, I just think for the same reasons that fried chicken is so accessible. So, you know, you might have a couple of secrets, but really, it's, it's you know, it's not it's not that difficult a product to produce. So, you know, when I was, when I was saying, I don't know that I've ever had a white person who made fried chicken for me. I mean, that, that just I've never had that. But people who either know a business opportunity when they see one, or people even who can cook and can look at a technique and replicate it. If you are Black, you might be able to do all of those things, but you probably don't have the access to the kind of capital that's going to let you open, say, a Federal Donuts, which is a Philadelphia chain. Well, now they have places in other parts of the country. And they serve donuts and fried chicken. Fried chicken and donuts. And I don't begrudge them their success, but do they make the best fried chicken in the country? I don't think so. Were they first off the mark? Absolutely not. But they did have access to capital. And, you know, if you talk about the three, I think the three largest fried chicken national and international chains are Popeye's, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and Church's Chicken, I believe. Uh, And I do not believe any of those are Black-owned. Popeye's Fried Chicken, their advertising is all about Louisiana fried chicken. And their face of their business is Black people. You never see white people like, I made this delicious fried chicken, come and get it. 
Not at all. You would not assume that Popeye's chicken is being made by white people. So um, Colonel Sanders is a funny story, though, right? Because who would think that a white plantation owner, which I don't know if that's what he's supposed to be the colonel of, but that seems to be the his image. Yeah. I don't I don't know why colonels are so popular in Southern culture, you know. I don't, Elvis Presley had a colonel. <laughs> I, I don't get it. The plantation places. But regardless, we are still selling the image of fried chicken is being sold by black people, but the money is enriching the pockets of non-black people. Unless their franchises themselves are owned. I'm not sure how that money goes, but it is interesting. It's very interesting. And there definitely does seem to be that like it's authentic if it's made by black people, even though these companies are not owned by black people. Yeah, that that's where we, you know, should probably deep dive a little bit more into, <laughs> you know, definitely check the show notes. We'll put some information about the actual economics of fried chicken and who makes money off of this delicious, tasty, deep fried bird. <laughs> so my last question for you then is, is there another culture's fried chicken that you enjoy? And if so, can you tell me why? So it's interesting. You gave me a little questionnaire. One's like, you know, where do you go out to get fried chicken? And I had to realize that I don't go anywhere to get fried chicken. And there's really only one place in Philadelphia, and it's Soho, which is basically a bar in the East Oak Lane section of Philadelphia, and they do Korean fried chicken. And you can eat it there. I usually get it to go. But they have Korean fried chicken, so it's like wings that are fried and then drenched in this sweet and spicy sauce. And then they give you pickles. And if you're lucky, they have rice. If you're not lucky, they're out of rice. <laughs> and, you know, and you can get beer and hard liquor. I don't drink beer or hard liquor, so I just go there and eat the chicken. Now, I've had Korean fried chicken and it is delicious. But truth be told, I assumed that the fried chicken I was eating in Korean restaurants here in the United States had been invented here, or at the very least, it was catering to an American palate. But I was really wrong. There is a long history of eating fried chicken in South Korea, and it goes way deeper than culinary tastes. I called my friend Soo Min So, a native of South Korea, to help me understand the history of fried chicken in her country. Soo Min is a world-class journalist who has reported from all over the world and now teaches journalism and journalism ethics at Temple University. She also has a lot to say about fried chicken. Thank you so much for um, initiating the conversation because this is something that I'm really, you know, that gets me really excited. So fried chicken, this is something that's built into just about every social gathering in South Korea, not like Christmas or, you know, not like Thanksgiving, but with the exception of those major, major events. So we even have a hybrid word, shimek, which literally means chicken plus beer. They go well together. So chicken plus beer, like when workers want to have beer after work. Now, South Korea has the longest working hours in the developed world. So after work, it would be 9 p.m., 10 p.m., chicken plus beer. People who grew up middle class would have fond memories of the dad bringing fried chicken after work on payday, for example. Again, it would be late at night. When Korea was much less affluent in the 1980s, when I was growing up, it was actually luxury food. So again, lots of memories, 
and universally beloved by just about everybody. That is so fascinating to me. I'm like getting all like <laughs> excited because that feels like a a whole new like exposure to fried chicken. I mean, you think about something one way and then you find out that <laughs> children in South Korea were like, yay, daddy brought home fried chicken. That's so interesting. So before we get in deeper, can you explain though, like what would be the difference between fried chicken in South Korea and maybe the fried chicken that you would you know associate with American fried chicken? Sure. There's a huge variety of Korean fried chicken. I mean, you know, when something is national food, it's really hard to generalize. But um, Korean fried chicken usually doesn't have the thick batter. So the skin is rather um, thin and um, it achieves its crunchiness by usually frying twice. It also nearly always comes accompanied with a wide range of sauces from soy sauce to gochujang, chili paste. And with green onion, my favorite is garlic and soy sauce. It's a great combination. And if you haven't tried it, most big cities, including Philly, has a Korean fried chicken place that has the soy garlic. And that is just like the best combination in the world. I am (laughs) so hungry right now. So, So can you talk a little bit about, like you were saying, that there's a lot of different types of fried chicken. It's not one, there's not one style of Korean fried chicken, essentially. Yes, I could probably create two branches of Korean fried chicken. And the one that has sort of salt sprinkled on the surface, that's more like the market variety. And I would argue that this is chicken for the have-not because it's much cheaper. You see them in the market, people just fry and buy the bulk almost, and it comes like a whole. And it doesn't have a lot of the sauces. It's not as fancy. And, um, you know, it's like basic fried chicken. Now, the other kind, which, you know, the wings that has like really thin, sort of sophisticated sauces, and it comes in a variety, that is a more recent phenomenon. And I would say it really um, emerged in the 1990s with all the franchises, because it's a hugely competitive market. Oh, my gosh, there are cities. People actually have actually drawn a census of chicken restaurants in South Korea. I kid you not. And there are cities where you have one fried chicken restaurant for every like 20 households. Wow. Explain to me the popularity. That sounds like there's more to it than just people like the flavor of fried chicken. It is actually a rather sad story because it has to do with the collapse of the Korean economy. So in 1997, Korea suffered the biggest collapse of its economy in decades. And this is when major um, businesses, uh, major conglomerates shuttered. People in their 30s and 40s were laid off en masse and had nowhere to go. Now, imagine yourself being a laid-off white-collar office worker, blue-collar worker, with severance pay. Korea is so ageist and hyper-competitive, the labor market, that it's next to impossible to find another job once you hit a certain age. You just run out of options. And, you know, especially for white-collar workers, it's not like you have any experience in the restaurant business. It's not like you can just open a new business. And that's where the fried chicken franchises came in. They standardized the recipe and made it possible for just about anyone to open a shop with, say, $50,000 worth of investment. Again, that's the money you have from severance pay. So it's grueling work, but it can pay the bills. You need to pay for your kid's college tuition, right? Now, the problem was there were so many franchises 
it really didn't have that much to do with demand, but really it was the supply side. You know, people needed to do something, and you can't just open a regular restaurant because you need to be able to make side dishes. You know, it takes years of training. You need to find a good chef. Hey, fried chicken, fry it. They provide the ingredients. They provide the sauces. The problem was they really charged markup prices for ingredients and sauces, meaning even if they sell a lot of chicken, the franchise owners made very little money. So it was a lot of people. I mean, there were suicides of fried chicken franchise owners. So it really had to do with the collapse of the economy. Wow. Wow. That's deep. That's really deep. But even with the people going out of business, there's still a lot of people turning to opening fried chicken restaurants. If there's still that many in, you know, per capita, like that statistic you stated earlier, there are still that many fried chicken franchises open in different cities. And they close all the time, especially in major cities like Seoul. You go eat. I've had it happen to me many times. I go eat in a fried chicken restaurant and I go there three months later They have changed hands or this restaurant closed, another one opened. But it is not uncommon to see four or five fried chicken places in the same building. Mm. And this is what I mean. So you're not talking about restaurants. They're more like takeout shops. So you would have like seating for maybe like four tables. And much of their business relies on delivery. Because again, people like to have beer and chicken at home after work. This is so interesting. I'm wondering... Is there any association between American fried chicken or Black American culture and fried chicken in South Korea? Or is this feel like a native food to South Korea? Well, fried chicken itself had been introduced in the 1950s via the American soldiers fighting the Korean War. But Korea was such a dirt poor country back then that it would be another two decades before most of the people became rich enough to have fried chicken. So the first fried chicken franchises and restaurants really popped up in the early 1980s when Korea began to have finally, you know, sort of a bit of a middle class because, again, Korea was so poor. I mean, even chicken was a huge luxury. And as for the American aspects of it, people call fried chicken in Korean chicken. In other words, It is clearly associated with America. It is an American food. But when it comes to the race, I'd say that chicken has been whitewashed as generic American food rather than having a connection to the South or to African-Americans. There were a lot of African-American soldiers in Korea, but they didn't exactly mingle much with the locals. I mean, people had very racist attitude towards soldiers of color. And when they did mingle with the locals, it was in limited capacity, you know, in bars, for example, in the U.S. bases and certain areas. So I think people finally came to connect the dots like, whoa, this is soul food, like in the 19, late 1980s, early 1990s or so, when like Popeye's came in, right? And their marketing kind of emphasized the Louisiana aspects of it, you know, and you would see posters of jazz musicians who are obviously black. So, yeah, um, I mean, KFC, on the other hand, they came earlier in the 1980s. Their marketing was like totally, you know, the Colonel Sanders. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I kind of cringe at the <laughs> thought of like, you know, KFC is an iconic thing. It used to be in Korea as well as in Japan. 
But people had no idea that this was soul food. Soul food. Haha, ha, I love that. That I've heard so many jokes that Korean fried chicken is the original KFC. Mm-hmm. And, of you know, soul, soul food is, you know, soul from soul as in post. <laughs> but, um, but I'm wondering if you think of culinary wise, if fried chicken, why did it resonate so much? Do you know what I mean? I'm just wondering if you can connect why fried chicken did become so popular, especially if it's not necessarily something that people have been eating for generations and generations. Well, I mean, again, I really have to take you back in time when I was a little girl in an impoverished country where beef is luxury food. It's reserved for birthdays, and you have to be middle class to have it for birthdays. I really had beef growing up. Even now, it's more than twice as expensive as it is in the U.S. Pork is less so, but it's still out of reach for many people in Korea, even now. Fish is probably the most accessible. And chicken is similarly affordable now, but back then, um, I think the exotic nature of chicken, that also contributed to its universal appeal, but it's really the affordability, like the most bang for your buck. Like, what can you have? You know, if you want to go for beef, you have to be willing to sacrifice like a fifth of your paycheck. I mean, if you want to have a feast, right? But chicken, you know, it doesn't take such a big hit on the wallet. And then there's, of course, the issue of uh, having chickens around me. You can actually raise chickens, right? Whereas even in the cities, um, you know, even in the ghettos, even if you don't have a huge yard, I mean, a lot of people used to raise their chickens and cook them. So that is probably why chicken is everybody's food. Yes, absolutely. Anybody can raise a chicken. So... What do you feel when people talk about fried chicken and it's talked about as this kind of black American, it's often associated as, you know, soul food or black American. And you're coming from a country where like, it sounds like people live and die by fried chicken, literally. (laughs) Like, do you want to like assert that like, hey, we do fried chicken too? Like, do you feel some kind of I don't want to say ownership, but how do you feel like your story, your version of fried chicken gets told here in this country? And how would you want that corrected, if at all? Oh, well, the last thing I want to do is to correct it. I mean, for me, it's more like, uh, you know, something I can connect with, with uh, African-Americans. Or I actually have great conversations by talking about fried chicken with my friends from the Latin American countries. You know, I never felt so much at home as when I was having fried chicken in Bolivia. When I went to the capital city, I was like, wow, this feels like home. Fried chicken places everywhere. And then the same when I was in sub-Saharan Africa. It was really like in 1980s Korea where you finally have a little bit of a middle class and, you know, you have these like nicely dressed families who are having fried chicken in fried chicken restaurants in Nairobi. And I'm like, wow, you know, Here's the universal appeal. We can all become happy, you know, family, <laughs> just by talking about it seriously. So I, I don't feel like claiming ownership of anything, really. But really, like, hey, come taste our fried chicken. It's fun, you know. And also with my friends, as long as they're not vegetarians, right? <laughs> you can say, hey, like, you know, want to taste ours? You can be Hindu. You can be Muslim. But hey, you going to say no to chicken. So it is really a unifying food. Wouldn't you agree, Laurie? I absolutely would agree. Fried chicken isn't a black thing. Although we black people do make really good fried chicken and it is part of our cultural heritage. 
It isn't a Guatemalan thing, although Guatemalans feel loyal to their pollo campero. And it's not even a Korean thing, even though fried chicken has literally pulled South Koreans out of financial distress. I think fried chicken is actually a unifying food, like Sumin said. It's an international favorite. It's a food that doesn't require fancy or specialized ingredients. It's a food that can take on the flavors of any culture. It's not too expensive to make or buy. And fried chicken is literally fun to eat. It's crispy, it's crunchy, and fried food is just pleasing to any human palate. I love Sumin's take on finding the familiar through fried chicken when traveling as well, or inviting others to taste your version of fried chicken as an offer of multicultural friendship. Who knew fried chicken could be this kind of bridge? I didn't. Did you? I hope you enjoyed this episode of the My American Melting Pot podcast and learned something about fried chicken. I know I did. Or maybe you just want to go buy some fried chicken. (laughs) I want to do that too. If you'd like even more information about fried chicken around the world or the economics of fried chicken, please check out the show notes on myamericanmeltingpot.com. Also, you'll find links there of all of the social media handles of our guests, Chef Valerie Irwin, Chef Sophia De Leon, and Dr. Sue Minso. If you have a favorite brand or style of fried chicken, feel free to tell us about it in the comments on the blog. And don't forget to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. Episode 15 of the My American Melting Pot podcast was recorded at WRTI Studios in Philadelphia. Our editor and producer is Brad Linder, who doesn't like fried chicken because he's a vegetarian. Sorry, Brad. Our sound engineers are Joe Patty, Tyler McClure, and Paul Marchesani. Our PR and marketing guru is Darian Muka, also a vegetarian. And our theme music was composed by Sumi Tanoka. Thank you as always for listening. And remember to always live your life in color. <laughs>